Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back. Tonight, obviously, we're going to progress in our study of this question. Why does God allow evil and suffering? And today we're going to look at God and what the Bible says about God. But we're going to look at Bible verses where we lacked Bible verses yesterday. We're going to have a plethora of Bible verses today. And we're going to look at those verses, some which are familiar. We're going to look at them, though, in light of this question. What the Bible says, and then in light of this question, why does God allow evil and suffering? But yesterday we asked the question, or at least in light of uh, the Exodus story, Pharaoh asked the question, who is the Lord that I should let God's people go? He didn't know the Lord, and a lot of people didn't know the Lord. And in the course of the events of the book of Exodus, Pharaoh ends up finding out who the Lord is. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. And if you continue that, Moses replies in Exodus 5.3 that he wants to take the people and go make sacrifices and worship the, the Lord. And Pharaoh, on the other hand, says this, but the king of the Egypt said to them, I'm in Exodus chapter 5, verse 4, the rest of the verses will be on the screen that we'll look at tonight. Why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labors. Again, Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now many, and you would have them cease from their labors. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and the foremen, saying, you are no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it because they are lazy. Therefore, they cry out, let us go and make sacrifices to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men and let them work at it so that they will pay no attention to false words. And so look at the concept, right? The people want to go worship the Lord. Pharaoh here decides that instead of letting them worship the Lord, he's going to fill their lives with pain and suffering. And in every instance of humanity, when people are after truth, regardless of its religious truth or any moral truth, there is someone will introduce, obviously, the enemy tomorrow night that is seeking to introduce pain and suffering into the lives of anybody that wants to worship. They want to worship, yet Pharaoh will make them suffer for that desire. And so tonight we're going to look at God from the perspective of allowing God's people to experience that pain and suffering when he could have poured the ten plagues in one night and let his people go. The more we know about God, the more of a clear picture we can discern about God's character and try to answer the questions we all have about evil and suffering. Who is the Lord? 
The most well-known description of God is found in 1 John 4, 8. It says, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is, missed that one. God is what? And we will look at love and all, and all that it means later on tonight and throughout our time together. For we know that this is God's basic fundamental description of himself, that God is love. But we have a lot of questions about what that love entails in light of this question, why does God allow pain and suffering? God, the Bible says that God is love, but when it comes to the topic of suffering, evil, and pain, that verse, that God is love, can raise more questions than it gives answers. Because if he's love, then why is there pain and suffering? To a person contemplating this question, to hear that God is love raises more questions than it does answers. So I want to look at, before we explore love and its ramifications based on the Bible and based in light of this question, I want to look at other characteristics of God in light of this. The Bible says that God is omnipotent or omnipotent. You know why? Because you know why I have trouble with this? Because sometimes I used to say impotent. So that's why I try to verbalize it. And the dictionary defines that as from, from a deity standpoint as one having unlimited power, able to do anything. So think about it, God is love, he has unlimited power to do anything, yet this still exists. And the question is why? Look at what the Bible says, and this is our first verse. It says, I know that, this is Job, I know that you can do what? Everything. Everything. And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. So if you look at this verse, right, we read it and we drive and we derive comfort from it. But if you look at this verse from in light of this question, you can do everything. Then why don't you stop pain and suffering? No purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Then why are you not withholding pain and suffering from me? Either he can't do it or Job is wrong in this implication. And we have to derive at an answer based on how do we reconcile the question, why does he allow pain and suffering, if this here is true? If he has unlimited power to do anything, then why the hesitation of taking care of this? Another verse it says, behold, now this is not Job declaring this of God, but God himself. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Well, somebody studying this question may say cynically, apparently there must be, because there is too much pain and suffering in this world. <clears throat> somebody in the midst of suffering some horrific pain or, or going through some horrific suffering at this juncture, reading this verse, will wonder then where are you? And I heard as it were the voice of great multitude 
as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God. I won't say the word of omnipotent reigns. So now we have the testimony of a single individual, Job. We have the testimony of God himself. And now we have a testimony of an unknown crowd at this juncture that says that God reigns, that he is all powerful, that he is able to do whatever he wants. He has unlimited power. And yet we need to reconcile that with the fact that you and I experience pain and suffering, not only in our own lives, but we see it in the world's history and we see it in the world today. Bible describes it further, God's power, unlimited power. But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things. And that should include then getting rid of pain and suffering. And yet, I don't know who the oldest here is. Let's say 80 plus years. You have seen either personally or in your life. She rose her hands while not picking on her. <laughs> Pain and suffering, but not only that, you have seen it in the history. If all things are possible with God, then why the delay in taking care of suffering? God has unlimited power. He's able to do anything. <laughs> why am I having trouble with these words? <laughs> God is also, what's the other one? Omnipresent or omniscient. Mercy. And that is defined as the state, ready, of knowing everything. The notion of divine knowledge, his reputation of infallibility, because he knows everything. So every point, every moment you have suffered, every pain you have gone through, he knows it as intimately as you have felt it. And remember those times or the times where you have seen an atrocity and it has shook your heart, perhaps even from a faraway land that has brought you to tears. He experiences that not only for you, but for everybody in the world. And yet, in light of the question, he still allows it. evil, pain, and suffering. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. So the actions of every good deed and the actions and the motives of every evil deed, he weighs them, and yet he still allows them, good and evil. And so he knows it all. He has power to stop it all. And yet here we are. Psalms 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. You know, this verse, as I go through this and meditate on it and contemplate, bothers me, in a sense, in light of this question. His understanding is infinite. And yet, despite all the pain and suffering this world has experienced, somehow, some way, in his understanding, whatever reason he has allowed that, it is his prerogative. He has allowed it. And that doesn't sit well with me, especially earlier on when I was studying this at 15 years old and, you know, since. That 
In other words, he's saying at some point it'll make sense. But what we're after in these days is find out a template that can lead us to why in his infinite power, in his infinite knowledge, he still allows pain and suffering. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows how many things. He knows the pain and suffering of every individual that has ever lived or has even died in the world for whatever reason. The people who have died peacefully and those who have died horrible deaths. Those who have died of old age and those who have died young. He knows all things. And although these verses read outside of this context can bring comfort and joy, in light of this context, it makes you wonder why so long have we been in this. Known to God from eternity are all his words. You know, there's this notion that there is an enemy, and the enemy is real, the enemy is true. But in the end, the buck stops with who? God. In the end, all evil and suffering, not that he causes it, but it stops at him. He is ultimately responsible for the questions we have about this subject that only he can answer and satisfy us. No other person can eventually satisfy our questions on this subject. And so all of it, all the pain, all the evil, although he's not responsible for it, stops at his door because it will be him that we will ask him questions for the evil and pain and suffering we've experienced in our lives and in this world and in this universe. All the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Here's why this verse can bother you in light of the question. This verse teaches me that there is a purpose to the suffering and pain. Yet while I'm experiencing that, I don't want to hear that. All I want to do is be comforted. All I want is the pain and the suffering to end. And for you and me to have an audience with God, whether it be in study or in prayer, and to see this in our suffering and not hear an audible voice or him come to us, because he has come to those at times who have been pain and suffering. Elijah, he whispered in a still small voice, but no doubt Elijah knew who he was. The three Hebrew boys were accompanied in the fire. Daniel was preserved in the lion's den. And yet for the majority of us, we read this verse in light of that question, and we don't like the fact, or at least I don't, that you know why I'm going through this, and yet, for some reason in this lifetime and in this now, you can't tell. He's unlimited power, unlimited knowledge. He is the God of knowledge. He has infinite knowledge. He has known things from eternity. Before there was ever pain and suffering, he knew pain and suffering would come. And yet we're still here. He knew pain and suffering would come, and yet 
He did not stop it. Why? Yesterday and today, we're asking a lot of questions. We'll start getting more answers as we go. But we have to get our minds thinking. His knowledge is without limits. So he could prevent every pain. He could prevent every suffering. He can guide like he did Pharaoh before the Exodus. There will be seven years of famine. Why tell him that and not tell people to prevent the horrors of 9-11? His knowledge, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out, that means he had a good reason to warn Pharaoh and a good reason not to warn over 9-11. <clears throat> For my thoughts, he says, are not your thoughts, nor, nor are your ways my ways. As we wrestle through this in Scripture with the light that we have, and as deep and, and thoughtful as we want to get, there is a limit that we can understand. But that limit can be reached in total satisfaction that even though we don't know beyond that limit, that God can be trusted, even in the suffering and in the pain. Do you know about the layers of the thick clouds? The point of emphasis is the wonders of one perfect in knowledge. So there is not a mistake in God that has allowed suffering and pain. His knowledge is perfect. His power is unlimited. He's known it all from the very beginning. He can stop every pain and suffering. And yet, for the time we have lived here, he has not done so. And that raises questions about the nature of God who declares himself to be love. God is love. God is God of infinite knowledge. There is nothing, nothing that he's not aware of in the world, in the universe, or in your personal pain. God is not like human beings. He's able to righteously judge humanity. He cannot learn anything, does not need to be taught, and does not make any mistakes. So all of this must have a purpose that we must discern. He's... Uh, he, he's omniscient, also allows him to predict the future. He knows everything that will happen before it occurs, and yet we preserve free will. There is great security for the believer in God's perfect knowledge, yet it leaves us with questions as to why we're going through what we're going through. He knows the needs of every believer, and he promises to meet those needs but our question usually relies as to when, because I'm tired at times of the people I've buried, the pain I see, and the pain I personally experience. In the Bible, as we spoke yesterday, can anyone teach God knowledge since he judges those? We spoke yesterday that God is creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And I bring that up because not only is he all-powerful, has all knowledge, he can do everything, he's perfect. He is responsible for whoever created, whoever brought in evil. There's no being created that wasn't created by God. So if he knew 
the enemy was going to turn, why not just take the magic eraser, erase him out of it, create somebody else and continue? And God doesn't make mistakes. So when he created him, knowing what was going to happen, he knew that there will be evil and suffering, and yet he still created. He is labeled as a creator to remind us that there is no possible other individual who is rival to him, for all have been created by him. And if there is no rival to him, and he is not the author of evil and suffering, then that means something went awry and he allowed it. The Bible makes it clear, for by him all things were created, both in where? In heaven. So in that sense, in the spiritual sense, right? What you and I see are flesh and blood, but here he takes credit even for what we do not see heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, what I'm going to say next, borderlines on heresy. So let me explain. If all things have been created through him and for him, that means that in some way, somehow, suffering and pain serve a greater purpose. That in the end, having had gone through with it, will bring more glory and honor to his name. And when we say it like that, it sounds like God would have wanted pain and suffering in order to enhance his glory. He did not want pain and suffering, yet God causes all things to work together for good. And somehow, some way, as we will learn throughout the rest of these days, that God's name and glory and honor will be exalted beyond, well, if beyond if we never had pain. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made and with him nothing was made it was so we can't put the ultimate well the ultimate questions are laid at the feet of because even if you blame evil on the enemy he has to answer to why he allowed it and what is the greater good that comes out of it so these verses about the creator clearly put the bullseye on him and no one else last one on the creator you are worthy O lord to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created so in light of this question your will there's an enemy and everything was created by god's will and that's where, when, as we continue to explore love and free will, there has to be a greater good to allow this than just the fact that you and I, in order to love, should have free will. Remember the Mr. Spock illustration, right? No one would want to live that life. He had free will, but there was no 
pathos, no love expressed, no basis for deep, meaningful relationship. But he had free will. The buck stops with God. All our questions should be directed at God. Here are some other things about God the Bible tells us. God is immutable. He does not change. For I, the Lord, do not change. That means that none of your pain and suffering has been a mistake, even if you made the mistake. Because ultimately, if we are saved, if we are redeemed, then everything will have had a guiding influence to bring you to trust him in the darkness. And he does not change. That means he is love. And that means love has never changed throughout all eternity. And that means somehow, some way that in light of this question, it had a purpose that we will only find out truly throughout all eternity, but that we will develop a template to answer those questions and give us comfort while we still remain on this earth. He does not change. He not only knows all things, he is present everywhere. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son to have life in him. Sorry, he's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anybody. He didn't need to create you. He didn't need to create the angels. He didn't need to create anything. He is self-sufficient in himself, yet he thought it good to create even though this was going to take place. Raising more questions that we will answer along the way. God is omnipresent. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. So there's no way to escape him. Even if you wanted to escape him, there's no way to escape him. So that means that every time there's pain and suffering, he is there. But we don't always feel the comfort. And we don't always fear the love, feel the love. And many times when we're in pain and suffering, all we can ask is, why me? Or why now? Or the pain that's even worse, why my child? and not me. And yet he is present with my child and with myself. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him, his word. Gives us one of our first hints as to what's going on that he has allowed pain and A covenant is a relationship with stipulations that you have to fulfill and I have to fulfill when we're talking about human covenants, right? A human covenant, it's a stipulation that I have to fulfill something in order for something to happen and this person, other party has to fulfill something. But God has a covenant, not only with us, but with the universe. And if there is a covenant with us and with the universe, then there are stipulations in which he has to act and stipulations of which the universe and us have to act. And even though he is all powerful and all present and all loving, sometimes stipulations prevent you from doing things. Many of you know I was in jury duty these last 10 days. And I learned a lot that I'm going to incorporate here as we go on. Is that in a trial, 
there cannot be free will, I mean, free flowing narrative testimony. In other words, the witness cannot just sit there and tell a story. They have to answer specific questions and no more than the question. And yet some of the questions are framed in a way to make you look like you're guilty. Some of the questions are framed in a way that make you look like you're lying. And if you try to explain, try to give the narrative in the recorder that is recording the trial, the opposing lawyer will say, objection. And that's stricken from the record. As we'll look tomorrow night and the next night, next to, we're going to look what the Bible says about the covenant stipulations that have allowed for pain and suffering. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. He's all powerful. He's always present. He's all knowledge. He's unchangeable. He's love. Now the Bible tells us he's good. But if you're good, then why is there pain? See, all the characteristics of God tells us who he is, but doesn't tell us why he's allowing pain and suffering. We can know all about his character and how good he is and how loving he is, but it still doesn't answer the question why. God is faithful. The rock, his work is perfect. He went over that. All his ways are just. All his ways. That means him allowing pain and suffering, there is justice to this. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. He's faithful. So for whatever why he has, he is remaining faithful to that why. But the question we ask is why don't we know why? And why are we left in the dark? And why don't we have the answers that you have that in your perfect, powerful, loving self has allowed for pain and suffering in this world? But God being rich in what? Mercy. You know, this is, I hope, I mean, I hope we all love animals. But you know that in that there is a, what's the word I'm looking for? At least in horse racing animals, if one of them gets hurt, they usually, like badly hurt, they usually take it, put it out of its misery, to put it lightly. And sometimes people have experienced so much pain and suffering that death would seem like a sweet release. God tells us that he is rich in mercy and yet, in a book I read titled "The Devil and The Devil and uh, Who's the, the and Karl Marx," some of the horrors in one of the chapters was so horrific. I'm listening to this on my headset because I'm driving with my kids, so I don't want them to listen. To it. Some of the horrors there, and some of the pleas for mercy in that chapter was so horrific that as I was driving, I was saying, I can't take this anymore. I, I, I need to shut it off. I was begging for the chapter to end. And finally, when I, I gathered the strength to turn it off, the, 
right when I was about to turn it off, the chapter did it. And that was just an audio form. And I wasn't even the one receiving the torture. And yet I asked, if you're the God of infinite mercy, then why did these people live through those horrors? But if we get to the why eventually that we hope to, it better be worth it. But in his infinite knowledge and infinite power, and the fact that he is love, we will get through all the horror and our hearts will trust him no matter how bleak the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger. Where is the mercy when people seek for sweet relief of death? The last, not the last one, but the one that I put at the end. Holy, holy, holy is the Almighty who was and who is. I say this last attribute because I think in a sense it works as a perfect bookend to opening with God is love. Holy, holy, holy encompasses the rest of the other ones that we went through. In light of the fact of what holy means, that means that there is, in essence, nothing impure in God. There is nothing sinful in God, nothing impure. Everything that he is is holy, holy, holy. The, 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 the celestial beings that are in his presence are overwhelmed by his holiness. This is who he is. This is who they know him to be in his essence. And yet, despite all of that holiness, sin arose. Pain and suffering arose. There are two things in the Bible that are called a mystery. The mystery of godliness and the mystery of iniquity. Two camps, and we're caught in the middle of pain and suffering. I want to end here with love again. Now back to love. God, God is love. And in light of that, he rules the universe. But in order for love to be genuine, it has to have freedom not to love. It has to allow freedom to be selfish if that's what we desire. Love demands freedom of the will, but freedom of the will is not the why we're going through. Freedom, as I've said in a previous sermon that I preached at Woodland, the Woodlands, makes love complicated. It brings a complication to love because love is pure, genuine. It is what we ascribe, what we hope to be, to have perfect love, to live in perfect love. And yet it allows for selfishness because freedom can be used for selfishness. But we conclude with this. If love demands freedom in order to be genuine, what happens if someone abuses that freedom? But I want to end tonight with this quote that I'll put up. And we will pick up tomorrow night exactly at this quote. If love requires freedom, and if the rejection of God's love is itself evil, then love requires the possibility of evil. <laughs> so it goes beyond freedom of the will. It goes back to love. But when we think of love, we only think of the beauty 
the sunsets and marital love and the children love and the love of things you love. But in that umbrella, it has to allow for the possibility. And tomorrow, as we look at this quote and break it down, and as we look at the enemy, we're going to look at the rights that the enemy has and how he uses it to inflict suffering and pain. And it is rights that the enemy has and these rights, we hardly ever talk about them, but they are based in scripture and it paints a picture of why his rights put limits on God's rights for a time being. God is love, but if love requires freedom, and if the rejection of God's love is itself evil, then love requires the possibility of evil. And that's how our enemy arose. And we'll look at the biblical rights that he has been conferred that play a role in the suffering and pain we live today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your amazing love. I thank you that tonight, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you're not the author of this, but you're the one that has the answer. You're perfect, holy, with all power, perfect knowledge, but somehow we're caught in. Give us answers as we move forward. Give us a template that we can rely on and give us your spirit that no matter what happens, we can trust you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.